so uh, much. And so if, if what comes out sounds a bit weird, just remember what Todd said, because what he said was great. And, uh, in fact, it fits really well with, with what we're going to talk about tonight. Not because I think that Todd sounds and looks like Jacob. It's more the fact that um, one of the things Todd said really resonated with what we're trying to do with this series is that sometimes our theology actually doesn't match up with the Bible. And as Christians, we say the Bible is our source. But we read our, we often read our Bible, and it's one thing that we talk about a lot with our students. We often read our Bible through the glasses that have been given us that are actually a, a result of other people's versions or expectations of, first of all, what God should look like, right? Or what we should look like. Or what we've been told, if you don't think like that, you're not in. So a lot of it comes down to social construction, uh, family construction. We pick up a lot from our families. You know, if, if you've grown up in a family that didn't grow up in the church, you might come to church and you'll have no concept. But if you came up from a family that grew, didn't grow up in the church but was anti-church, it would be... Um, sorry, just going to get rid of that. Um, it would be so, so negative that any time people wanted to talk to you about God or church, you filtered through that. Got that? And so what we've got actually is a lot of things that we read in the Bible... We already have a presupposition, we have a presupposed view of that's what it means. Even if it doesn't say that, we have this presupposed view. And our series is actually trying to determine actually what God thinks about us, even though we think God shouldn't think that way. Right? Got that, Sam? We have a presupposition about what we think God should think about us, even though the Bible seems to say something different. And it comes from verses like, God hates sin. I'm going to show you something in a minute, and we're going to talk about it. God hates sin. So we think that any time there's this thing called sin in our life, we don't even define that. We just say sin, and everyone's got, as soon as I say that, everyone's got baggage. You know, this is what sin means. That's what sin means. Right? When I grew up in New Zealand, so anything sin that epitomized Australia, but you know, you know, if you want the bad, bad of the bad, you've, you've characterised. When, when you actually have World War Two pictures, I should have had some of those up there. Um, anything bad, who was the face of bad? Hitler. But who was the face of bad to the Germans? <coughs> Churchill. Churchill. You don't realise that, but they had the same caricature of the enemy as we had of our. It was all. It was all, it was all, it was all because it was socially constructed. Now, I'm not saying the Bible is socially constructed. What I'm saying is that our place in doing this series is to try and get us to actually see what the Bible actually does with the story of God and humanity. And that's why I've called it the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because anything good, God gives a tick to. Anything bad and ugly, we think God should give a cross to. But the problem is, is that what's bad and ugly? What I interpret as bad That's it. So, here's a thought. I'm just going to make sure that that works. There you go. What are some things that, for you, would question another person's integrity in your eyes? What are some things that... You, so, I want you to talk together. What is just a list of things that you think, if this person did that, that would actually challenge their integrity? We often say, for instance, we, we love their heart, or we trust their heart. 
And then we watch them do something really, really stupid, but because we trust their heart, we're blind to that. But I want you to think about the relationship. What would actually challenge another person's integrity to you that you would say, no, that's a no-go? Let's have a chat, right? Well, well, okay, what have, what have we got? Give us a, give us a few different things. Lying. Why does, why does lying challenge their integrity? Who told you that? Me. Right. What else? So, your partner's infidelities? Well, no, anyways, like my girlfriend said she's playing up on her husband, but by trusting her for what, why is that? Because she, she just has proved that she doesn't have any loyalty to anything. How do you know that? Because she's playing up on her husband. Who told you that she's that? Yeah. <laughs> that's me saying that. Yeah, okay. Bored her to come. Hang on, <laughs> Not, not even injustice, probably the, 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 the cause. Okay. 
The effect of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll show you a couple of verses in a minute to effect it. Oh, the verses that come to mind to me are around about being judged as you judge others. Sure. So, sure. you know, I have a sense that God kind of sees us the best. <laughs> so natural you don't even know you're lying. People live in that life. But let's have a look at what the Bible says. Can someone read that out? So let's use that as our framework for a minute. We're going to talk about Jacob. 
It's very interesting. You know how I said that sometimes our framework is based out of certain verses that then everything is read through? And we don't actually read the other passages that actually might soften that? Got that? So stay with that for a minute. I'll come back to this. Let's talk about Jacob. Right. This is Jacob. Now, um, what have I done? Oh, that's right. I've lost a slide. But basically, Jacob... um, Jacob was the son of Isaac. Um, he was the son, a, a twin. The first guy that came out was Esau. Esau was red. And the reason why, and he had lots of hair, that's why it was called Esau, because Esau and hairiness sort of goes hand in hand in the Hebrew language. So what the people used to do was they used to actually name their kids according to either a characteristic they looked like or a characteristic that they were going to become. Jacob came out, the Bible says, holding holding Esau's heel. So they called him heel. Now the word heel, you're a heel, you're a tall, you're an idiot, whatever, you're a heel, actually has the connotation in the Hebrew of liar. So imagine being called right from the start, hello liar, how you doing? <laughs> Very good. You grew up with that. What did you say you grew up with? Where you came, came out of the womb? Yeah. Not, not being wanted. Unwanted. Doesn't matter how much people say you wanted, you live with that initial sense. Jacob would have lived with this his whole life. Right, let's see how Jacob treats life. So can someone read that? Thanks. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Yeah, this word Edom sort of is similar to the word famished. That's why they have that in there. It's just common, Terry. The writer wants to make sure you know it's here. Anyway, Karen. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Um, every time our boys would come in, what did Joe used to say? What's for tea? I'm starving. You know, he, he's never been to see a starving person. Most of us, when we say we're starving... <laughs> Uh, it's, it's not quite true. But anyway, Esau comes along. It's interesting, this idea of birthright. Um, birthright wasn't something that you could actually give away, and it was something that you should never give away. It was actually something that determined your future. So immediately we've got two things going on here. A brother that wants... He, he's sick and tired of his older brother being the number one. So he wants to actually make a, a deal with Esau. And the second thing is, we've got a brother who doesn't care about his identity. Himself is a little bit out there. We're not going to talk much about Esau, but I just wanted to show that right from the start, Jacob and Esau are going on, and Jacob has this tendency to want to do things that aren't quite right socially. You can't steal someone's birthright. You can't take it. Neither should you give it away. And yet here's this passage in the Bible that immediately says something's wrong in the state of Israel. Israel wasn't around at that state. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. For a piece of stew. Hopefully it was good. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. But Esau despised his birthright. So immediately we've got this situation where Esau has given away something that wasn't his to give away. Jacob has taken something wasn't his in the right. What was he called at the start? Heel or lion. There's something about Jacob that doesn't quite fit. What do you think God thinks about that? 
Now that's the oops, by the way, this shouldn't happen. Oh no, that's, uh, you know, it, then it carries on, that's right. And they go through a scenario and, and um, Isaac gets to be an old man. Can someone read this, please? When Isaac became an old man, he was really blind. He called his eldest son, Esau, and he said, My son, yes, father, I'm an old man, he said. I might die any day now. Do me a favour, get your quiver of arrows and your bow and go out into the country and hunt me some game. Then fix me a hearty meal, the kind that you know I like, and bring it to me to eat so that I can give you my personal blessing before I die. Now, it's very interesting because the blessing was only ever given to the firstborn son. Because the firstborn son was meant to become the head of the family under which everybody, including the brothers and the sisters, then carried on the family name. Firstborn was always the most important. Right? So, think about this. What did Esau do earlier? Is that the firstborn son or the firstborn? The firstborn son. It was a patrilineal. Patrilineal. Um, community. So you have an eldest daughter, but in Israel, predominantly the eldest son got the first right, even if he was the youngest of it. Yeah? So patrilineal means like follows through the fathers, through the sons. So what had Esau done previous? Given his way as birthright. And yet Isaac was no the, no the wiser for this. So what does he say? He says, Go out, I'm going to give you a blessing. Esau's going, Great. I'm about to inherit my father's kingdom. It wasn't much, but that was that was that was a big thing. So he shoots off. But notice here, Rebecca, who was I, um, I, Esau and Jacob's mother, is listening in. She prefers Jacob. And you've got to ask yourself, who nurtured this devious mindset in Jacob? Anyway, let's carry on. That's a good question, isn't it? You see, the text actually tells us some things, and you've got to ask yourself the text. Let's carry on. Rebecca was eavesdropping as Isaac spoke to his son. <coughs> as soon as Esau had gone off to the country to hunt game for his father, Rebecca spoke to her son Jacob. I just overheard your father talking with your brother Esau. Now, my son, listen to me. Do what I tell you. Do what I tell you. Because it's the same part of the story. Go to the flock and get me two young goats. Pick the best and I'll prepare them into a hearty meal, the kind your father loves. Then you'll take it to your father and he'll eat and bless you before he dies. But mother, Jacob said, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I have smooth skin. What happens if my father touches me? He'd think I'll be playing games with him. Rebecca took the dress-up clothes of her older son Esau and put them on her younger son Jacob. She took the goatskins and covered his hands in the smooth nape of his neck. And then she placed the hearty meal she had fixed and bread, fresh bread he'd break, she'd break into the hands of her son, Jacob. It's like the flipping days of our life story, isn't it? It's really amazing. Who's deceiving who here? Remember we said about in, in, integrity and lying? There's something going on here that the story's trying to tell us something. What do you think God thinks of this in the light of Proverbs? Because you said, what's the thing he hates? No, the thing, sorry, the loathes. He loathes. He, he loathes the troublemakers in the family. Who's making trouble here? Rebecca and... Because he knows no better. It's very interesting, isn't it? There's a lot of doubts in the story because I knew we couldn't spend the whole time. It's a really amazing story. There's about ten chapters of this in Genesis, um, about around the 20s. It's worth, worth reading. So, 
He goes and does this. Let's carry on, though, because it's all, it's all part of the same story. Yeah, yeah, yeah just with a mouthful. Good. <laughs> he uh, went to his father and said, My father! Yes, he said. Which son are you? Remember, Isaac's deaf and blind, going about to die, so he can't do it. Jacob right. <coughs> uh, answered his father, I am your firstborn son, Esau. Ooh. I did what you told me. Come now, sit up and eat of my game so that you can give me your personal blessing. Isaac said, so soon? How did you get it so quickly? Because your God cleared the way for me. Then Isaac said, come close, son, and kiss me. He came close and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothes. Finally, he blessed him. Why do you think Isaac asked Jacob to come close? So he could smell it, but he couldn't see. Maybe he was suspicious. Maybe he was suspicious. Yeah? Well, oh, there was there, there was suggestions of that. There was definitely suggestions. He's got Isaac's got doubt, even though he's a little bit old and deaf and and going a bit weird. And he suspected. And he's been married to Rebecca for how many years at this point? So yeah, he's that's right. More than aware of the fact she's slightly dodgy. <laughs> this, this is it. You see, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the story. This is a story about someone that's important in the Bible that doesn't make sense because God, we should, we should be going, God, what are you doing? This is the smiting. These people should be smitten. These should be right. These should be smitten. That's right. The only, um, in fact, it was, um, who was the American? Oh, I forget the guy's name. He wrote a book called The... the, the the weird history of the world, and he said that anybody that had an ike after their word got smitten. So the Israelites, the Hittites, the Edomites, they all got smitten. So you're lucky they had an ike after your word, otherwise you'd be smitten as well. Um, doesn't matter. Anyway, this is what happens is that that um, he blesses David, and then Esau comes back and says, Ha, Dad, I've done it, and Isaac all of a sudden realizes he's been duped. He's actually been duped. Now, what would you do if you were a father or a mother and you realised that one of your children had duped you? You'd be furious and you'd want to take back what you've given. Mm -hmm. However, this is a culture where you can't do that. Once it has come out of your mouth, the blessing cannot be removed. So immediately a blessing is given to a person that has dubious integrity, character that shouldn't be there anymore. What do you do with that? Because we've got the story of a guy that has an important part in the future. That he gets blessing and he gets prestige through a lack of integrity his whole life. Right, you got the sand. Can you see it? Slow. You can see that. He's the slow runner. 
But see, Jacob, Jacob isn't a nice person. In this story, he's not a very nice person. People listening on at the time will be going, this isn't right. It doesn't sit with the social fabric of, of life. It doesn't sit with the social fabric of God. It doesn't sit with the social fabric, fabric of integrity. People don't do this. We should take Jacob, put him up against the wall, and if we had guns back then, we'd shoot him. Instead, they'd shoot him with arrows or stone. What's that? Do you think their culture is built on that? Because <coughs> one particular culture, yeah. they worship the money god, right? Yeah. And as long as you don't get caught, it's but, all good. But Jacob got caught. You see, that's the thing. Jacob has been exposed right back at the beginning. No, yeah, but I was saying that back then, they, they would have saw that on Jacob's rule table. Yeah, there's, there's, there's elements of that, but actually in an unashamed culture like this, yeah. Isaac can't go back on his word. Yeah. So what he said was that basically you will rule over your brothers. That was part of the blessing that he gave. Yeah. So now that the word's out there, Esau, who is the older, the stronger, the actual more capable, yeah. is now going to have to be ruled by his twin, slightly younger than him. And that didn't fit. Yeah. You see what I mean? It didn't yeah, fit with that. Yeah. Again, lies with a passion, a tongue that lies, and a troublemaker in the family. This doesn't fit with the character of God that so often we've been talking about. Oops. What do you think of Jacob so far? Have a chat, just a chat, a general chat about how we perceive Jacob. So, I mean, you know, Jacob's, Jacob so far isn't being portrayed in the best light. But part two. Part two is, he sets out, Isaac says, okay, Jacob, your blessing's yours, can't do anything about it, just make sure you don't go and marry one of those girls from Canaan. Uh, from Canaan. Okay, because, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know what they are like. So he shoots off east, and he goes back to his father's house, which is like the father's broader thing, and he gets to a, to a place, and uh, if we can uh, have someone read this, Todd, can you see that? You can't read it from here? You want to read it? Okay. Yeah. Jacob set out again on his, on his way to the, to the people of the east. He noticed a well out in the open field with three flocks of sheep bedded down around it. This was the common well from which the flocks were watered. The stone over the mouth of the well was huge. When all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone from the well and ward off the sheep. Then they would return the stone, covering the wall. Jacob said, Hello, friends. Where are you from? They said, We're from Haran. Jacob asked, Do you know Laban, son of Nahal? We do. Now, can I say... But his pronunciation is actually oh, true to the Hebrew. That is brilliant. That is great. Fantastic. Um, now Haran, Haran was that was in the north where Abraham left his father on the way down to the Promised Land. Hence, we know that's where the family, the, the extended family, settled. So we went east, sort of northeast. It was more. Um, comes and he says, "We do." And at that stage, um, Rebecca comes. Uh, Rachel comes along. Now, Rachel was one of the sons of Laban, daughter, daughter, thank you very much. I haven't had much sleep. The, the daughter of, 
of Laban, and um, he he falls in love with her straight away. I mean, it's love, lust at first sight, isn't it? Yeah. You know, oh my goodness, this is rather special. And so he decides he's going to settle with Laban, Laban, and he's going to ask for her hand in marriage. So, works from for a month. You're going to carry on, read because the story carries on. Okay. All right. When Jacob had been with him for a month, Laban said, "Just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me. You shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid." What, what's the, a fair wage? Now Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel was the younger. Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel and Jacob. It was Rachel that Jacob loved. Mm, it's one of those lovely stories, isn't it? It's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> He, he actually kissed her at some stage. Jacob answered, I will work for you. I will work for you seven years. For seven life. years for a chick. I mean, oh my goodness. Seven years. That's 365 times seven, which equals a lot. Times 24 hours. That's a heck of a lot of time just for one woman. Right. Yes, carry on. For your younger daughter, Rachel, it is far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yes, stay here with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days. He loved her. This is truly a story. I did not make this up. This is in the Bible. Right? Let's carry on. Now, works for a while, and everything's happened. Worked for seven years. He goes back to Levan, right? And what happens? Let's have someone else read. That was good reading, thanks. It was very good. You got it there, Liz? Can you read that? Then Jacob said to Levan, give me no wife. I've completed what we agreed on. Yeah, I've earned, I've earned the girl. Give it to me. Yeah. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Levan <laughs> <laughs> invited everyone around to a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought her to the marriage feast. Now, why did he have a big feast? Obviously, to get Jacob drunk. Yeah, yeah carry Jacob on. slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came. There was Leah in the marriage feast. Jacob confronted Laban. What have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? And by the way, in, in the Hebrew, it's Rachel, like <coughs> Rosh. You know, what Rachel. So just wanted to give that image of Rachel. <laughs> Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Now, what did Laban just said beforehand? Yes, I will happily give you to the... Now, who's talking to who here? Laban is talking to Yaakov, Jacob, the deceiver. Ooh. Who's Jacob working for? An even more deceptive person. Ah, that thanks, that was thanks to Mark on Friday night in India. He pointed that out and clipped to me. Thanks, Lee. Right. Enjoy your week of honeymoon and then we'll give you the, one, the other one also, but it will cost you another seven years of work. Fourteen years at this stage you say, no, too hard, take my wife on life. 
But what he does, that's your, by the way, that's because we've got two things going on. What do you think of Jacob? So what do you think of Laban? Does he sound like a nice person? He's very clever. He's very, he's he's like the ultimate insurance agent. We're looking. We're looking at selling a house. We're looking at selling a house at the moment, and we've had a lot of real estate agents through, and they all claim they all claim to be the best in the business, and that they can guarantee us the top price. And it doesn't matter how much we set a house for, they can guarantee we're going to get over that, that price. And what are they telling the purchaser? That's yeah. the question. Overpriced car, used car, sold. Yeah, absolutely. It's like brassy or goldie that made it right. That's right, brassy or goldie, polished, polished paint. You've got this. You've got this story. It's. I didn't write this stuff. This is actually written in the Bible. It plays like a flipping drama, doesn't it? Jacob, Jacob's being deceived and duped by the ultimate dupe, uh, who is his father-in-law. So we carry on. What happens is that Jacob actually marries both. And don't go into that. Don't think about this is a really weird culture. It is a really weird culture. That's what they did. Laying her kids, Rachel can't. She was barren for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. And of course, at that stage, Rachel started to despise Laban. But eventually, Jacob, the deceiver, prays to God and says, God, give me a son. And she eventually gives him, well, lots and lots. So there's something in that. You go, hang on a minute. Doesn't God hate and despise troublemakers in the family? But anyway, very quickly, we are getting there. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Levan, Send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I've served you, and I'll be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. Laban said, Name your wages and I'll pay them. Um, Jacob said to him, You know how I've worked with you and how your livestock is spared under my care. The little you've had um, I, before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. So Jacob's done a good job. So he said, look, don't give me anything, but if you'll do this one thing, I'll go on tending your flocks. I'll continue working for you, and, um, but, but what we're going to do is we're going to split. So you give me all the spotted and speckled ones, which are normally the not good ones, the rejects, right? And, and we'll keep all the strong ones, and we'll separate them out, and whatever the speckled ones, whenever they give birth to the ones, I'll take those ones. And of course, later this, cool. You get the duds, I get the goods. You see? And I didn't make this up either. It was actually in the Bible. Um, and, and, and look at this. They will be my wages and my honesty. This is Jacob is saying this. Will testify to me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any go to my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any land that is not dark coloured will be considered stolen. So you can do what you like to me. Jacob, however, took away. So this is what happened. Laban said yes. And whenever they would come to the well, he took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood on the branches. Then he placed and peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that the sheep would be directly in front of the. They would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches and they bore young. 
that was streaked or speckled or spotted. Now, we don't know the genetic makeup of this, and I don't know any farmer that's tried this, but this is the Bible that's speaking to us about how it happened. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place branches in the trough in front of the animals so that they would make better branches, but if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban, and the strong ones to Jacob. He became very, very rich based on his deceptive nature. And the last part of the story, Jacob part three, is that they split. Laban realizes he's been duped and he chases Jacob. Jacob's going back to his hometown and he's afraid of his brother Esau because he knows Esau's out to kill him. So he sends a whole lot of stuff off to pay off his brother. And anyway, he's on his way. Laban sort of chases him for a while. And Laban says to the lot, you carry on, pay my brother Esau, but we'll stick behind. He sends his wife and kids on in front of him, but he stays behind. And this is the part of the wrestling. When uh, Jacob stayed behind at the river of Zavok, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's head out of joint. The man said, let me go at daybreak. Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. It's again, it's a story of blessing. This is very interesting. The man said, what's your name? He said, Jacob. Oh, Jacob. The man said, but no longer, your name, long, name is no longer Jacob, but from now on it's Israel, who the God wrestles, the one who wrestles with God. Now this is very interesting, because what does God think of liars and troublemakers? According to the Proverbs. God has just blessed Jacob, the deceiver. Something's wrong with this story. What's that? That is it. Yeah. But you see, when you actually think about this, if God loathes and hates sinners and liars, it's very interesting how you actually see Jacob in the understanding of Israel's history and then even in the mouth of Jesus. So Sam, can you just read these? These are three stories that flow on from the Jacob story. You would think that if God hates this, then Jacob shouldn't fear well in the history or in the future of this nation called Israel and in the words of Jesus. But let's have a look. God said to Moses, don't come any Stop there. Wait. This is God speaking to Moses. Where does God place himself in the life of Jacob? God hasn't rejected Jacob. Now, by the way, Jacob never stopped his lying or his deceiving his whole life. He never stopped being the guy that deceived people. He never changed. Yet, straight away... He's now part of the story of the Exodus because it was Jacob's sons that went down to Egypt. Jacob's sons that tried to kill Joseph. Joseph goes down, becomes the number one in Egypt. They follow down, stay there 430 years as slaves. And God doesn't say, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and not that duper, not that deceiver Jacob. I'm actually the, the God of that God. Next. I will remember my covenant. 
the covenant. God cut a covenant with these guys, with Jacob. That doesn't fit with the story in Proverbs that God hates liars. Or we've got a misunderstanding of what lying and troublemaking actually meant to God. And this is the last one in Matthew, which is in the words of Jesus. Todd, have you got this one? What Jesus is saying is the deceiver Jacob actually makes it in the end. And I was always told that those who are like this will never ever inherit the kingdom. In fact, Galatians says that. Those who do these things continue will never end. So you've got this paradox, this, this tension, and this, this struggle going on in this, the, the, the script of who is God, who are we, what does God think about us? And so often what we do is we stand as the judge of someone else and say, you cannot be in because you don't fit the criteria of the perfect person. By that, we're saying we actually do, we're in. So we judge the person and say, we're in, you're out, you don't fit us. And yet I think that what Jacob shows us is the good, the bad, and the ugly has a different view to God. You, you can have some really ugly aspects in your life that have always been there from the beginning. But it's often other people's view of God that judges you. Can I say that again? It's often other people's view of God that judges you, that you listen to and say, I cannot be accepted. It doesn't make it right. Jacob's deception is not excused. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. But what it shows us time and time again in the scriptures is that our view of rejection and God's view of acceptance are quite polar opposites. It's your point, sir. God approaches us, and it's your point, Todd, in your story. God approaches us and pursues us, irrespective of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And God embraces us regardless. But he doesn't stop there, as the New Testament tells us. He wants to change and transform us. But he doesn't start with a perfect person. He starts with who we are, and we carry some of those things right to the end of our days. And yet God doesn't reject us. And that was the whole point of Jacob, I think, showing us that his story challenges some of our perfectionist views that Proverbs present. And that we often carry. Well, I think Ecclesiastes actually is a very like a counterbalance to some of that because yeah. it goes into you know the wicked you know get everything and the righteous get nothing. Get nothing. Yeah, Proverbs is the righteous the wicked get nothing. Yeah. So, so we've got we've got to challenge. Not that the Bible is is false, but we've got to challenge our picture of God and the Bible so that when we read it, we allow the story to speak, and it can become our story. It doesn't take away the truth or otherwise of the scripture. What it does is it actually brings reality to us that we don't have a God who, who looks down on us as judge and rejects us. We look at a God who looks down on us with grace and says, yes, there's more to be done. But as Sue said, he's one that comes first by grace. So I hope that that story of Jacob has helped. Go and read it for yourself. That's out of the Message version, which is more plays like the love stories. Message <laughs> <laughs> version. Um, but, but even the, the other versions bring some of the story out. It's a fascinating, a 
story of juxtaposition of, of one playing off against the other. Who's the deceiver? They all are. Who's the problem? They all are. But where's God? Right smack bang in the middle. There's a purpose in it. And this guy becomes the father of the promise. The, the nation that became the, the, the receivers of the promise. It's good. Go on.